Hello and welcome to the Please Be Seated podcast. Uh, today I'm joined by Piotr um, to discuss The Godfather. Could you introduce yourself for us, please? Hi, Luke. My name is Piotr Skopjak. I'm a director. I've made uh, two feature films. One was called Small Time Obsession, which I made in 2000. That was I made that film even before I was a uh, professional filmmaker. That's the film that kind of got me into the industry. And um, I've recently made my second film called The Last Witness, which uh, I think you're aware of. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I say because I met you in October, I think, in a screening of The Last Witness, and then we've stayed stayed in touch through like my short film premiere and this and other bits and bobs with um, an, another screening of The Last Witness uh, later this year. Absolutely. Um, so you chose to discuss The Godfather, um, which weirdly, although it's been a film which I've owned on my DVD shelf for so long, it's one which I'd never got round to watching, so it was a good chance to watch. Even to the extent of the fact that I bought the DVD and shortly after I bought it, I came across a really great poster of The Godfather in a charity shop, which I picked up thinking, I'd probably like that, and I've, got it, I've had it up on my wall for over a year having not seen the film. <laughs> uh, so, so now I've seen the film. <laughs> so... Uh, what what were your first impressions with this film then? Uh, funnily enough, you see, because you're at the you're at that age where because I saw the film when I was eighteen, and I remember seeing it when I was younger, probably younger than you are, and not and it did nothing for me. It was long. I thought it was boring. Um, it act, absolutely did nothing for me. Uh, then when I was eighteen, I remember sitting down and watching it with my parents, and it just for some reason just clicked with me and I just loved everything about it. I loved the story, the acting, the music, <clears throat> the atmosphere, you know, the 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 uh, the culture of the whole film. Just everything just hit me in that moment. I don't know why. And it's one of the films that really made me want to make uh, movies from that point on. It's still a benchmark. And so, you know, I think that's a really important point to start with in the you know certain films i think you have to see at a certain time and this one i just saw at that right time because as i say it was it was uh it, it's more than just the film it has to kind of speak to you in a particular way you know your favorite films all speak to you at a certain point in your life or or what you're going through and you know that's different for different people and we all know you know we all watch movies and go oh that was a great film you got to see this film then somebody else watches it and they go nope don't know why you like that awful film, <laughs> you know. Um, and that carries on now. I mean, I've kind of given up on recommending films to, to even my family because I kind of think by now I, I should kind of know what my family like. I still I still get it wrong. So uh, they are very personal. I think all art in the end is very personal to you. And um, The Godfather for me was, yeah, just one of those sort of defining moments, definitely. Um, so for me, like... I enjoyed it, but I don't think it worked as well for me as it will in a couple of years' time. Um, like, I appreciated it, but almost the the fact... I mean, it's number two on the top-rated films on IMDb, and I don't quite get that at this point. But then there there are other films, um, Pulp Fiction, Trainspotting, things like that, which first time watching them, didn't like them. Second time, suddenly clicked. So I think this would probably be one of them as well. Well, yeah, I think uh, there's another point to it because my background is Polish and I was kind of getting in touch with my own kind of Polish background and my own uh, cultural history. I've always said if I wasn't Polish, I'd be Italian. I mean, there's a lot of 
similarities between Polish and Italian culture, you know, not least because it's Catholic, you know, um, and, uh, you know, the whole sense of family, the whole sense of, you know, you do everything around food, you know, the, the, the atmosphere of that film, the music as well. You know, I was getting into all of that, into all of that from a Polish point of view, and that really kind of mirrored it, really, for me. And, you know, everybody talks about that, The Godfather, what you come out of is, is yeah, there's action and there's the, the, there's, the, there's the gangster world, but it's all about family and how, you know, you do everything for your family. You know, those classic quotes that, you know, don't, don't take sides against, any, against uh, anyone uh, against the family, you know, ever. You know, that, that was the, the theme of the whole film for me. And from what I read afterwards, it was almost like, you know, gangsters love the Godfather because it gave them a kind of a, a kudos. It was like, oh, yeah, we don't kill people because we kill people. We kill people because we're protecting the family. It's not. No, you just you're just bad people who kill people. You know, it, it kind of gave them a, a kind of operatic quality. And supposedly, you know, gangsters love the Godfather because it makes them look cool. Um, but in the end, you know, the, on the flip side of that, you've got that story of of a very decent guy. Obviously, Michael doesn't want to be a gangster at the beginning of the film. He says, this is not the life for me. You know, I'm not, I'm not going into the family business, you know, because it's wrong. Um, and then you see that descent into, into, um, uh, you know, into the kind of heart, heart of darkness, really, because then he becomes the godfather at, at the end of the film. You know, so you see that progression and you see the, the corruption of ultimately what, her, what is set up as a good man at the beginning of the film to somebody who is uh, who is willing to kill people, you know, at the it end of the It's almost film. the complete opposite of the normal character progression that you'd expect of a film, really. You know, going from good to bad rather than vice versa. Yeah, completely. And I think that's what that's what you know. In the end, you know, it's 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 a bit. Like Goodfellas was was the other the other flip side of it. There's two really good movies I think about about kind of the gangster life. You know, Godfather is is the one. Goodfellas is the other. Both of them say you're ultimately watching, you know, bad people. You're watching people who kill other people, um, but they have a, they have their own internal motivation. And in most cases, you know, in most cases they just want money, um, and there's no more than that. They're just greedy, self-obsessed people. Uh, what The Godfather does, it just gives it, as I say, a more uh, a, a richer kind of background because you're also talking about, you know, the history of America. It's a it's a it's a historical movie because organized crime is so. Um, ingrained in American history and around that time and when Godfather 2 you know when you watch Godfather 2 you see more of that of how this uh, transplanted this culture transplanted from Europe uh, into into America and um, and became this this sort of uh, huge influence on American on American history and culture uh, from kind of the the 1900s onwards Hmm. Uh, so as we open in the film with uh, Don Vito Corleone hearing requests at his daughter Connie's wedding, um, and this is the same wedding wherein Michael introduces his girlfriend to the family, and the entire like wedding scene is great, but it's almost the 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 film throughout has such a sort of slow pace to it, which I like to one extent, but to the other extent. When I'm taking notes, I keep feeling like there must be something else by now that I write down. <laughs> Am I missing something? So I, little elements of this, I, I ended up resulting to not taking notes until afterwards. So I, I watched the film through and then went on Wikipedia through the plot and made sure I got notes of each plot point because 
it, it, it was just annoying me a bit after a while. Yeah, but I think that's right. I think I think you shouldn't. Uh, I mean, if uh, I don't think you should take notes. You should just let the film happen. You should engage with the film. You should let it kind of wash over yourself, you know, engage with it emotionally. And then you can watch it again. I mean, that's the thing for me about a good movie is you can watch it over and over and over again. And every time you're going to see something different, Godfather is absolutely like that. I mean, I, I, can't, I, I can't even list how many times I've watched it. Every time I watch it, I see something different. And also, it's also because you've moved on. As I say, I'm growing up. You know, you're, you're experiencing different things in your life. And then you start seeing different things and appreciating different things in uh, The Godfather. And obviously, from my point of view, because, you you know, as a filmmaker, you're revisiting it just for the craft. I mean, the, the yeah. even at, at the point that I didn't really know what cinematography was, what music really uh, does for a movie, I'm I'm reacting to those things. And they are... Uh, you know, um, they're creating an emotional reaction in me. And then now as a filmmaker, I understand how important the cinematography is, the music is, you know, and there's that great scene where it all comes together for me. I mean, the acting, you know, the, the cinematography, the the music and the sound is obviously the Salazzo scene where he, he shoots the, he shoots Salazzo and he shoots McCluskey, the, the police uh, captain. Um, when he comes back from the when he comes back from the 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 gents and he sits down the music cuts and you just hear the background and you just hear the train come in as the as the as the shot uh, tracks in on michael's face you hear the 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 train louder and louder and louder then it cuts off he stands up and shoots them both he walks out the restaurant and then the score kicks in hard it's just on you know just as a as a kind of masterclass how do you how do you shoot a scene how do you block a scene how do you um edit a scene i mean it's all there i mean it's just one of those go-to scenes when you're talking for me when you're talking about filmmaking and using all the tools not just one but everything everything you've got i think the great thing about like from the filmmaker's perspective of anything is that you can watch film hundreds of times and still have something you know, new or different that you look at, which, um, even some of the worst films, you get, you know, you get something out of, which I think is, is great. Yeah, you've got to watch. I mean, you've got to watch bad movies because you've got to see what doesn't work. In mm. a way, you know, I I struggled when I first started making films because I thought, well, my film's got to be as good as The Godfather or as good as Star Wars. I mean, obviously, every filmmaker starts off with yeah. small films and works their way up. It's like I kind of go, you know, you don't hit that that level um straight away so you have to learn by kind of mistakes and most filmmakers have learned by mistakes and there's lots of you know your 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 favorite films and filmmakers have obviously got lots of films behind that where they have made those mistakes and those are films you probably never will get to see and they probably don't want you to, want you to see you know i mean i think one one conversation which we did actually have when we were at, uh, at the my film's premiere for a while was the idea of how so many people among like the filmmaking community obviously i'm only just realizing this now as i'm only just getting into these networking things but how you know if you ask a filmmaker what their favorite film is most of them are going to list some sort of you know obscure foreign film to make it sort of sound like they know what they're on about yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and i think i mean to some extent they could be completely telling the truth but i mean the the responses that I get when people ask me what my favourite film is, and it's the Richard Curtis rom-com about time. It's yeah. like, you know, yeah. it's... Um, and 
I, I suppose to to your extent, when you list like things like The Godfather and Raiders of the Lost Ark and stuff, like how how do people tend to respond to that being so mainstream? Well, it's funny because I kind of when I was when I was your age, uh, people were talking about you know uh, foreign movies that no one had heard of. So it's like you know I've just seen the latest uh, Taiwanese. Um, uh, box office hit or whatever. These are all films. They say in a, in a way to kind of to pose, just to kind of go. Oh, you know, I'm a real filmmaker because I watch films that nobody nobody hears hears about or knows of, and um, that kind of bugged me a little bit because one, you don't have access to those films particularly, and yeah. two, I mean, I'm just watching movies like everybody else. It's like mainstream. You know, you turn the telly on, and you watch movies, and it is just. Yeah, if genuinely someone is turned on by, you know, foreign movies or or uh, or obscure movies, that's fine. But that it, just because you like a mainstream movie doesn't mean you you don't know anything about movies. You're just reacting to a piece of art. It may be very commercial art, but it's still valid. And it's that. Yeah. And it's that. It, there's just the snobbery about it. Obviously, then when I got into movies. You know, I do what you do. You look at the top ten lists, and you say, well, "Okay, well, obviously, people, the 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 general sort of idea is that these films are are worth watching for either craft or uh, for other reasons." And you watch them, but yeah, it's not to say that all those films will work for you. As I say, they're very it's very personal, and it also the kind of movies you want to make. You know, when I was uh, I remember the big one was spaghetti westerns. When I was growing up, mm. if you said you liked. Um, you know, uh, a Clint Eastwood movie. If you liked um, uh, Fistful of Dollars, Few Dollars More, the Spaghetti Westerns, you'd be laughed at. You'd be saying, "Well, you don't know anything about movies." And now they're classics. So yeah. you know, the movie hasn't changed. <laughs> so I'll just wait until about time becomes up there with <laughs> with, with yeah, the greats. Every, every, every film, uh, everything goes through. I mean, even architecture. You know, you get that thing of it's new, then it's sort of old then it's a, a bit crap and then it becomes retro and then it becomes cool again, you know. So it's the same kind of thing with uh, how many movies have been, you know, badly reviewed when they've come out and then 10 years later they're revisited and saying, oh, actually, this is a bit of a classic. This is master- They were ahead of their time. And a lot of, that's the other thing you forget is a lot of art um, is ahead of its time. If it's good and original, of course it's ahead of its time and people may not get it. I mean, yeah, to go on to IMDb and look at like the top uh, rated film it's uh, Shawshank Redemption which famously didn't uh, receive any success until like DVD release and airing on TV so yeah it's like things don't always get successful instantly um, so back into the film we've got um, Jimmy Fontane asks for help to curing a role and um, I quite like the little bit with Jimmy in the film because you sort of get the idea as to how the family work and you know what they what they do um and obviously you've got the whole thing with the with the horse's head um which is still such a, an iconic and memorable a very disturbing cinematic moment really yeah it's shocking i mean i was i think of the godfather I, I forget now how iconic and how huge that moment was um i mean it's still shocking when you see it absolutely it's just the amount of blood the way it's filmed that scene as well because he just sort of he wakes up in and you know in 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 this blood in his satin sheets and what is this and it's just a reveal and it is just absolutely shocking still works i guess i'd imagine that the effect would be even greater had i not gone into the film knowing about that 
Like, yes, the same thing as, you know, watching Alien now and all, and knowing about the chest bursting is like, this is the one unfortunate thing with when films do become popular is some of the beats don't work as well, but this still is quite shocking and disturbing. When you're expecting something to be so good, everyone's telling you The Godfather is a masterpiece, it's a fantastic movie, you know, that's already not helping you, you know, because you're already going in with expectation. You know, when I watched, as I say, when I watched The Godfather uh, the third time, when, when it kind of hit me, you know, I'd seen it twice before and it was kind of, I was sitting down to it the third time going, oh, God, I don't know if I want to watch this again. And then suddenly it hits you. I mean, how many times have you, have you seen a film that you know nothing about? I mean, that's ultimately how you should watch all films. You shouldn't actually yeah. know anything about it and just watch it and sort of have it, have it um, engage you. But unfortunately, it's very rare because, you know, we see, we'll see a trailer, we'll see a write-up. You know, it's very rare that you'll go into a movie not knowing anything about it. I guess that's possibly why I do like About Time so much, because I, I bought it literally because I like Richard Curtis films, and I think I read on the back that it had something to do with time travel, and that was it. You know, there wasn't... I knew nothing about the plot, and I don't think... I mean, I watched it first time and enjoyed it. I'm going to keep talking about about time, probably. <laughs> I watched it first time and enjoyed it. And it wasn't until I actually like picked it up at a random point when we were sitting down as a family, and I was like, you know what, let's watch this. And, yeah, I don't know. I mean, have you seen About uh, Time? No, I haven't. I haven't. That. Obviously, yeah, I have it's, to. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 good. it's probably on Netflix or something, but it's... I won't say too much because that we just talked about that. <laughs> but it's it's a good, it's it's a good thing. And this bit with the with the horse's head in Godfather, like I think the fact that that effect has aged so much is because it is an actual horse's head, isn't it? From I feel like I read somewhere. <laughs> See, I I can't I can't tell you. I'm not sure if it is that whether that's myth or whether it's true. Whether it's obviously it's a proper you know I I don't know. I don't know. That could be a myth. Because I'm kind of thinking if now you'd say, right, I'm going to put a real horse's head in a bed. I don't know if you could get away with it. So, I mean, I don't know. That is the, that is the 70s, of course. Um, but, you know, there's that's the, the next thing about The Godfather is this mythology about The Godfather. I mean, I don't know if it's got the record for being the most quoted movie. Um, there's so many sort of iconic quotes in that film. Uh, and again, these are all things that when I still hear them now, they're just delivered and they and they say so much. This is again dialogue. It's it, it's how much dialogue can say when it's delivered, how it's delivered, how it's delivered by the actor, you know, and the subtext of all that dialogue. Because the Godfather, I, I love the way they talk because they're always talking around things, and they're not talking about specifics. Because it's that classic kind of gangster thing, you know. You never say I'm going to kill someone, you know, um, and in a way, it's kind of shocking when when. Uh, Michael does it when when he's talking about killing the Salazzo and the and the police captain. Where he says, you know, and I'll kill them both, and it's really kind of blunt, yeah. you know, um, and that's that's kind of shocking. But hang on, but you're surrounded by killers, and they kind of laugh that he's being so kind of blunt, you know. So on all those levels, I just love it. As I say, I keep going back to it and um, and just see new things. There was one. There's a there's a moment in The Godfather that even I didn't notice and I read I was reading an article and they're saying the amount of detail the Coppola and the and uh, and the screenwriter and uh, the, what they went into and there's a moment where one of the characters is murdered and there's a cutaway to another character and the character I think 
um, loosens his tie, and that's the signal to kill the uh, the other character. And I had never noticed that in all my time. Yeah, I, I like little bits like that. Um, so just reading here, the horse head was real, and the actor did not know this, so his screams are also real. Oh wow, uh, that's qu- that's quite Kubrick, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, absolutely. I mean, I kind of think I don't know if you can get away with that now. I don't know. No, I don't probably know. That, not. That feels, I know the, that feels uh, strong. I mean, the fact that the horse was dead beforehand, it's possibly different, but, like, I know the BBFC won't classify any film that features animal cruelty. I don't know where they go in terms of already dead. Um, yeah, real characters. Uh, so, uh, Solozo of the... I'm going to really mess up these names. <laughs> of uh, the Tataglia? No. Oh. Yeah, that's I'm right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, family asks for investment in his drugs business, and Vito declines but sends Bragi to spy on them. Um, and then he's strangled at his first meeting with them. And you know, like all of these moments are like I think very few of the like the deaths and violent things in the film are like expected. They all sort of come so quickly out of nowhere, and I quite like that. Yeah, yeah, and I, and that goes back to what you were saying about the slow pace. I mean, it absolutely starts slowly. That wedding scene that when I remember watching it the first time just went on and on. Um, the deer hunter was another one which has a massive old uh, wedding scene at the beginning, which goes on even longer. Um, but it's a sense of it's almost like a sense of uh, a full sense of security because you're you're you come into this family, you see how you know this whole atmosphere, the culture of it all. You come into it with Michael. And then you start seeing, hang on, this is not a normal family. There's this is this is this is there's something happening here. And then you get deeper and deeper into this culture and into this yeah. into this family in the same way that kind of Michael does. I think Michael brings you into um, the 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 family and into the culture, and you find out who they really are. Um, and yeah, it kind of it doesn't go horribly wrong, but you just see how he gets he gets corrupted by it all. And as I said uh, earlier about um, about the horse's head scene feeling quite Kubrick, I think a lot of it does, but that could also just be that era as well, because obviously this is the you know the seventies a similar time with Stanley Kubrick's films and things like that. But that sort of slow pacing that still leaves you invested. I mean, even in terms of starting slow, like your your film, The Last Witness, sort of starts on a more slow, relaxed pace before picking up as well, and I think that's. It's quite an easy way of make of almost carefully having people feel relaxed in the film first before things kick off. Yeah, yeah, and I think and, and you know, uh, slow pace is always is always regarded as a criticism. Now it's like, oh, the film is slow paced, as if that's a bad thing. Now I like films that are slow paced because I can. Mm. You know, you can invest in it more when things are moving a hundred miles an hour. It's like you know, you're trying to just get through this film because you've got better things, better places to be. Um, I think this is the difference between you know seeing a movie in the cinema and seeing a movie at home. Uh, you know, in the cinema, you've got nowhere to go. It plays differently. Uh, you've paid, you've paid, you've you've bought your ticket. You know, you've sat down. You say this is gonna. You know, I've given up my two, three hours, whatever it is, and okay not impress me but engage me with a good story and a slower pace will always work better in the cinema it will work less on television because people just have busier lives i think there's a there's a focus um that you need 
for a slower paced film but again it's what your what where you see your film being seen you know the last witness i always wanted to see uh, have it seen in the cinema and so i'm not making it for tv i'm making it for a cinema it's a cinema experience which is very different to a television experience so it's very daunting it's like you know to say for some reason if you if you go into if you buy a ticket and go to the cinema and and you sit there for 3 hours you kind of feel I've got value for money you sit down and say oh my god I'm going to watch a 3 hour movie on the telly it feels daunting you know that's already yeah. a different state of mind i mean to look at like recent films one that's done i think reasonably well but not like incredibly is the recent film A Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood starring Tom Hanks. Um, and that film in its entirety is quite slow. But I came out of that film feeling more relaxed than I have in a long time. And I feel like there's almost comfort in slowness as well. I mean, I don't know if you've seen A Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood, but like, um, be- because it's about Mr. Rogers, who's such like a beloved uh, American children's presenter who has... Who, who, who is that comfort for the kids, really? Like, I know I ca- we both, like, my family came out of that film, and my, the first thing my mum said was, oh, I liked it, but it was awfully slow. And for me, I hadn't even thought about the pacing. It was just, I was there, I was invested, and it was comfortable. There's literally a minute-long scene where um, Tom Hanks' character, Mr. Rogers, just asks the family, well, uh, no, ask the family, ask the guy he's talking to just to take a minute to think about all of those people who've loved him into being where he is now and it's one minute of silence while he just sits there and thinks and you know that like everyone in the cinema is doing the same thing yeah yeah i mean that's that's the that's the cinema experience for me that's it and if you're engaged in the story as say you didn't notice it so it's obviously working a lot better for you than it was for your mum you know, um, yeah. for whatever reason, you know, uh, but... It that, probably that, wouldn't work the same way if you were sitting watching it on Netflix on your phone, you know. Exactly, exactly, because you kind of say, you know, move on. Um, yeah, I don't know how to... It's just it's just a different experience. It's like, you know, comparing the two, saying, you know, a movie uh, that you've seen on, on on even a big screen at home or on your phone or on the way to work or actually sitting in the cinema. These are by default very different experiences and it does affect how people watch it. I mean, even now, you know, reviews of The Last Witness vary a lot and you kind of, and I almost... I almost know when I read the review whether this person's actually watched it on their phone, on the tele, or whether they've seen it in the cinema. And I've seen it enough in the cinema to know that it works in the cinema. I mean, you've been there, you've seen it. So, yeah. you know, you tell me. But there's, it's, uh, I can kind of feel what's happening when I watch the people, watch the audience, watch the movie. And that in its own way is fascinating because you can, you can almost feel people getting engaged with the story. Is that why I noticed when you were with the at the last witness screening that you sort of sat in the middle among people? Like, is that the way to take in their response? Or? Absolutely. I mean, I sit in the middle, or if I can, I've sat right at the back because I just see everybody's heads, and then you can actually see whether people are fidgeting. You can see whether someone leaves, comes back. Um, you know, you're listening to whether they're coughing or whether they're chatting. It's a fascinating for a for a filmmaker. It's absolutely priceless. Um, because you can you're you're feeling the film uh, through the people in the room. So if it's not working, I become quite anxious. Luckily, I've kind of enjoyed everyone. Uh, it starts off it's awful when you start because you're you're willing everyone to love it so much, 
And then, you know, as you start watching it and start feeling it and you see that people are actually paying attention, the best thing is when you just, when no one's moving, you just see the sea of heads and they're all just static and, the, and, the, and all you can hear is the film. And it's an amazing feeling. Yeah, the one thing that I didn't like with my unstable screening, which is like the obviously being a short film is only like 20 minutes, but it's the first time that I had been in a room full of people watching anything I'd done, was that I sat with the cast and crew on the front row and that meant I was sitting there for 20 minutes thinking, I hope everyone likes this. <laughs> but I'd, um, I think... I think I briefly turned to the person next to me because I noticed that the audio was ever so slightly out of sync on one of the speakers. Probably no one else noticed that, but it no, was I didn't notice really that. bugging me. <laughs> but but yeah, so I feel like from that, I know that when I do other screenings of other things that I don't want to sit in the front because it's, it's quite a painful, you know, watching the film, just waiting. Um, do you think that there is any difference in response to your film as to whether you're present there or whether they're watching it on their own? Do you think there's there's an extra personal element when they're watching it with the filmmaker? Um, I don't I don't think so. I don't think so because they don't know me. They have no personal yeah. connection to me. I mean, maybe with you. I mean, if you're. I mean, the worst screening I've had, the worst and the best screening I've had is when I've uh, the first time I screened it to my family. That was awful. Yeah. Because I'm obviously sitting there going well if they don't like it i've got nowhere to hide i mean <laughs> this is not going to be you know it's not going to be good i mean luckily they all liked it but i think that's th and they're obviously wanting to like the film as well with yeah. with everything you know but if a film doesn't work it doesn't work um and it's just unfortunate you know you i i've, I've watched films uh you know by friends of mine that you sit there and you absolutely want it to be brilliant you want to love it and you watch it and you kind of go off oh, you know, you know, it's not great. Or, yeah, this is brilliant, fantastic, great work. You know, so it's hard. It's hard if you know the filmmaker. But I think if, uh, I mean, you tell me, you didn't know me. You go along to Last Witness. Does, does, did it affect how you watched the film? Um, only possibly to the extent of I wanted to enjoy it more. I think, you know, I want to go see a film and enjoy it anyway, but I think the fact that I'd gone there and it wasn't the typical kind of film that I'd normally watched, like I literally only went because as a filmmaker, I had never met a director and that was why I went. I went um, because it, someone said, oh, you know, they got a screen and I was like, well, I'll, I'll come along and I did enjoy it. But I think for me, um, I I came for the experience of, you know, the, the Q&A and meeting the director and that was... That was what I came... I mean, I I really liked the film, but I came out remembering that, if that yeah, makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I also came out and instantly bought the DVD for the film so I could watch it again. and Because uh, I know I went out to the toilet halfway through and I struggled to pick up, so I was like, I need to watch it properly. <laughs> yeah, well, that, I mean, that, I think that's that's the thing. I don't think, in the end, you know, you if anything, the filmmaker being there... It's what you say. Maybe it makes you want to like the film more. But it, you saw in the Q and A, you know, there was one. There's a um, there was one member of the audience who I thought, uh, you know, did think it was yeah. a bit slow. I don't think he was. It was, uh, you know, a great experience for him. I think, you know, he said he liked it. I think I think he was being polite. But I don't think it worked for him. So, do you I think like it's, it when it's people what you are say. there? I think being honest. It. Hey, do you like that level of honesty from your? Uh people in in the q and a's absolutely absolutely i i 
as a filmmaker, you know, if everyone just tells you, oh, it's wonderful, it's wonderful, it's wonderful, but they walk outside and they say, oh, thank God that's over. It doesn't help me as a filmmaker in the end. No. You know, I'm making a movie for people to watch it. I'm not making it for myself. So I have to know... Uh, I have to know what it does to people, what it does to an audience, so that I know that um, what I'm doing is working. And that's the only way you know. I mean, that's the thing. If you just have it released on, on streaming or on or on DVD, hopefully you get comments and and uh, and reaction. But there's nothing like talking to people face to face, and like I say, sitting through a screening because quite clearly, if people don't like the film at the end, they'll just leave. They won't wait. They won't. Talk, want to talk to me if they didn't like the film I mean uh, why <laughs> why yeah. do a Q&A and ultimately you've got you know um, general audiences compared to other filmmakers like how is that difference because I've noticed other than the people who the, the people who are involved in film who came to the screening and premiere of Unstable like I've noticed general audiences and random people who've seen it seem to have enjoyed it a lot more than when I send it to a filmmaker or whoever and say can I have your opinion and often it's a list of everything I've done wrong <laughs> you know so, uh, I mean do you, do you notice that difference between people who are professionals and people who are general audiences because supposedly you want to appeal more to general audiences than to people, people in the biz oh yeah completely but on the other hand I want to appeal to both because yeah. I kind of want another job as well you know, I want to keep making films. So you're, you've got to kind of hit your audience um, on different levels. You know, I think from a filmmaking point of view, I like to think I've done a good job. From a, I, think, I think the craft, I'm happy with the craft of the film. I think I've tried my best with the music, with the production design, with the acting, you know, with the script. You know, obviously it's flawed. Every film, no, no film is perfect. I know what I kind of would have liked to have done better. I know what kind of doesn't work, but I'm doing my best. And you're always going to be your own worst critic as well. Like that's always how it. Yeah, of course. I think works, yeah. the minute you think you've made a perfect film, it's all over. I mean, why would you want yeah. to make another one? You're always it's it's an imperfect, uh, um, you know, job. I mean, it's kind of sick in a way because you'll never. You're, you're all, you can always be better. I think you can always be better. Um, so, yeah, I, if I have an audience of filmmakers or craft people, I want them to like it on a craft level um, as well as, uh, you know, as an audience. But absolutely, you want... I've made this for a general audience, for people who don't know anything about the story, anything about that history, and I want to engage them, you know, in a thriller, in a, in a murder mystery, ultimately. So yeah, I, w I want them to watch it like I watch movies, not as a not yeah. as a filmmaker. I say because I was wondering whether that is possibly like I feel like unstable as a short film, and obviously as a zero budget film as well. Like it's it's not had any success so far in festival entries or things like that, but local screenings and like as as you've done with the last witness. Like I'm now going about contacting different venues and just saying any chance you'd come and screen this and that. That that tends to have a pretty good response, and in that way. And so, do, do you do you think that the best route for films is like screenings to general audiences or screenings in festivals? I think any screening anywhere is good. I mean, they're all different. I I with Last Witness, uh, just very. Uh, I was very aware that once I'd made the film, I want as many people to see this as possible. I don't care mm. who it is. If someone wants to come and see my film, I will screen it for them. And uh, this is why I was disappointed when I didn't get a 
theatrical release in the US and in the UK and why in the UK I took it upon myself to try and get an independent release because yeah. I absolutely, you know, I'd made this film for the cinema. Um, luckily, it got a, a big release in Poland in the cinema and I saw it in Poland in the cinema, so that was that was huge. Um, but I missed out on that in, in the States and in the UK. But because I tried and literally went back to basics, like I told you, just knocked on cinema, on, yeah. on independent cinema's doors and said, I've made this film, do you want to show it? And they did. And, um, you know, in the end now I think it's 28 screenings I've had in 18 independent cinemas. So if I hadn't tried that, I wouldn't have had those. Um, and now I did the same thing in the States and I'm going to Chicago to screen it in um, Chicago at the Gene Siskel Center because they're putting on something called the European Union Film Festival. And again, I literally just emailed them and said, I've got this film, would you like to screen it? And they put it in. So, absolutely, I mean, just, you know, you go out there and you just, <laughs> you tout your film and say, I've got a film, do you want to watch it? I think yeah. you, you show it to everybody. And, I mean, I realise I'm asking you more about this than The Godfather, but I'm really enjoying this conversation. Um, so, what what was your first, like, you, you, you said, like, your, your first film was, like, your main introduction into that. Like, was that, when did you start, like, realising that this could be a job, like, <laughs> this could be the way you, you know. You... Um, I I never realised this could be a job. I'm I'm still pinching myself that I'm still here and people are, are now kind of paying me to to direct. I still feel like I'm making it up as I go along because I didn't go to film school. I was literally I liked films. I watched films, and I and because I started working at Sky TV and met similar you know, like-minded people who also wanted to make movies and we just did what you were doing. You know, you go out and you you make a short and it kind of people like it and you make another one and you make another one. And um, here I am, you know, having made two feature films and uh, working in television drama. So I still feel that I'm trying to get to where I want to be. Um, I'm still learning. I still feel this is all film score for me. Um, I've learned so much from The Last Witness and hopefully all you do is hope that you get another chance to to learn and have another crack at it. Yeah, one, one thing which I'm wanting to do, which is probably, you know, years and years and years ahead of anything that I am ever going to get to do like at this point. But I mean, I think I said before, like my motto has always been, you don't ask, you don't get. So I'm going to, you know, try my hardest at any point and hope it works out eventually is I've started coming up with like, this plan for like a six episode series. And I mean, I'm I'm already setting up plans over the summer of like filming a pilot on low on no budget and then just like taking it places. Is that I mean, do you think anyone would pick up any, <laughs> you know, something like that written by someone unknown or do you think that's? Yeah, if it's a good if it's a good idea, absolutely. You know, it's it's a story. If you tell a good story, if you tell someone a good story, they'll be engaged, and then they want to and they want to take it further. I mean, I've always looked at it in the you know this is coming back to the Godfather. I, I sat there and said I would love to make a movie like the Godfather. I would love to make a movie like Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, I said to myself, someone does that for a living. You know. I didn't yeah. at that point know what a director does. I didn't know what a producer did. You know, I had to learn all these things. But you said something, but people are working on these films and it must be such a great experience. Yeah. Um, because, you know, and as a director, you're working with all the crafts. You're working with music, with acting, with design. 
you know, with, uh, you know, with photography. I mean, you're never bored because you're interested in all these arts. It's when where all the arts come together um, and it's fascinating. So, you know, I'm just interested in these things. I think it's the same with stories. When I approached, you know, what kind of film do I want to make? It was, well, I had to find a story that interests me that nobody's told. Yeah. So it's a case of, in a way, you're your, your own audience. I can't make a film for you, however hard I try. You could tell me that you love all these films and this is what you like, but I can't really, I can't really make something for you. I can only make something for myself and hope you like it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and I mean, how, do you, how different do you find it from when you're, you know, when you're working on your own stuff like The Last Witness to when you're doing things like, you know, for the BBC with like Shakespeare and Hathaway and Doctors and things like that? Like, do you have less freedom in those, uh, you know, those positions, really? Well, I mean, you do, you, you throw in as much as yourself as you can. Yeah, there's limitations. Um, but there's also quite a lot of creative freedom and it's for you to push that as well because obviously you're brought in to realise a script and there's things in that script that obviously the people who have written it or are producing it may not see and that's kind of what they want from you because every director will come to it and see that same script differently. It's like watching The Godfather, you know, you watch it differently to, I, to, to me but there's a generational gap, there's a cultural difference, you know, there's lots of things influencing it. So it's the same. So if I, so if the same script for Shakespeare and Hathaway, for instance, if it was given to you or given to me, we would make very different programs. It's the same script, but we would make very different different um, programs. So I mean, it's what you bring to it. It's what you bring to it. I mean, take for example, like Shakespeare and Hathaway. I mean, obviously this wasn't the circumstance because you directed the first episode. But say it had been like an established series that had gone on for like a couple of seasons and you'd never watched it and then you're asked to direct it, would you go back and watch the other episodes first to understand how it goes or would you just put your own interpretation on it? Uh, it's interesting because you want a bit of both. I will watch, uh, it depends, obviously, if, you, if I did EastEnders, I'm not going to watch yeah. you know, 20, 35 years of, of soap or whatever to watch it. But I mean, I tried to find out as much as I could about all the characters, what was relevant to the actual script that I'm doing. On the flip side, if you go back too much and you're influenced too much by what's gone before, you then feel like, well, you've kind of, you're stuck getting influenced by that. So you've got to, I think, I watch enough to know what it's about. And then I try and be fresh as well. So you're still trying to bring something new to it, but also be respectful of what came before. Thank you. And I've just looked at the time. We should probably go back into The Godfather at some point. Um, so, um, so Lazo asks for investment in the drug business. Vito declines since Brazi disappointed. We talked about that. Uh, Brazi is strangled. Uh, Vito gets shot in the street and Hagen gets kidnapped. And uh, then Sonny gets persuaded by Hagen to accept the deal. Um, uh, and then we've got this bit which I quite liked. <laughs> when the family received Brazi's bulletproof uh, vest wrapped around a fish. Yeah. I, I, I quite, quite like the, the, the whole, whole symbolism, symbolism of that. Um, I, d I don't know what it was about it, but it was almost like I, I just sort of watched it and it was that sort of point where I was like, I quite like this style, you know, the... Well, this goes back to the detail I was talking about. You know, it is classic. You know, as Luca Brasi sleeps with the fishes. You know, it's uh, we're not we're, we're talking around things. It's symbolism. It's all about symbolism. 
it's all about respect it's all about you know um there's a lot of detail in the godfather that's why you can watch it over and over again i mean watch it again now that you know uh you've got to watch it again and let yeah. it kind of wash over you again and now you know where it goes you know the story you know what happens you can sort of forget about that and now you can see how it's crafted in a way and um yeah, it's all, I mean, and it's also relevant to now. It's not like it's an old film that's irrelevant. I mean, it's still politically relevant. It's still culturally relevant. You know, this whole, I mean, look at knife crime. Knife crime is all about respect. It's all about, you look at me funny, I'll stab you. You know, in in The Godfather, it's all about that. You say the wrong thing, look at someone the wrong way. You know, you've got a contract out on you. It's all about that. It's all about power and uh, and respect, but this kind of false respect because you know, these people in the end are cowards because, you know, they're hiding behind guns, they're hiding behind uh, knives, you know, they're not just having a fist fight, you know, they'll, they, it, it's a, it's about, what's, what's the word, um, self-obsession, but it's also extremely cowardly as well because they can't get power any other way, it's all about, you know, you have to respect me otherwise I'll kill you. <laughs> You yeah. know, but you also, you know, you, you die by that as well because it comes back on you. You know, you live that life and you're going to you're going to end up on, on the receiving end of that at some point. And can you imagine living like that, knowing that every time you walk out the door, someone could be there to, to kind of, you know, uh, to finish you off? I mean, it's it's horrendous. Um, and then we've got uh, Sonny gets. Oh, I've talked about that. What? Oh, there we go. V- Vito survives getting shot, and uh, Michael tries. Michael tries to thwart him, um, and I, I, I quite like how it's all shot in that scene where he's in the hospital bed. Like I, I, I can't remember exactly what it was about it, but I remember what. Like, it was one of those other things where it's just sort of it's so strong in my head, the whole style of it. Like there's, it's quite an extreme close up on his face as well. That's almost to an uncomfortable extent and i think it's just it's all shot really well well like you say i mean it's great you you the minute you talk about engaging with it emotionally even when you say something like you know it's uncomfortable it's awkward well yeah it's meant to be that whole sequence is fantastic it's visual we're with michael he's walking through the corridors and something's wrong you know where's the where's the coppers where why is my you know he's on his own why is he on his own then he then he twigs it and then he's then he gets he decides what to do he does it um, and there's that classic ending to it at the end where the, where the police car drives up. He's standing there with, you know, with, with his mate that he's told to stand outside. The police car drives off and he offers him the cigarette and, uh, yeah. and he lights the, the cigarette for him and, and his mate's hands are shaking and then he looks at his own hands and they're not shaking. And you go, well, that's nice. there. That's, that's, just film, that's just fantastic filmmaking because it's showing you there. You know, this is him. He can do this. I love that. And it was the whole, like, what I'm trying to work on at the moment, the whole show-not-tell thing. And it's just, it, yeah, that that whole thing is just sort of so well shot that, you know, it, it's it's nothing's explicit at all. It's just, you know, it leaves you to interpret it in your own way. And I think that's... Because some, sometimes you can watch a film and feel almost quite patronised by how... They need to tell you everything, and oh yeah, I'm and that's that and that's, a, that's and that from our point of view, it's something we have to really kind of fight against. 
um, because it is show and not tell. You know, if you and there's far as far as I'm concerned, there's far too much dialogue in TV and movies at the moment because it's all talking, and it's yeah. like stop talking and just show me stuff. I can figure it out. You know that sequence we just talked about. You know what's going on. Michael doesn't have to tell you what's going on. He doesn't have to say, "Oh right, okay." Someone must have told the policeman to go, and my father's in danger, etc., etc. You know, you stand there because you know we've got. He's not telling you; he's just doing it, and you are interpreting that, and you you know absolutely what's going on. And I mean, that's one of the things which I tried to do with Unstable, and I'm working on even more with other things. Was um, specifically with the. It's going to be weird to mention it here because I know that when this comes out, the film's still not out online, so people won't really know what I'm talking about unless they've been to one of the screens I got booked in. But when we've got Adam's addiction, like I think it was even pointed out by someone in the Q&A, like we never mention the name of the drugs or even mention like the word addiction or anything. Like It, it was just... I didn't think it needed to. <laughs> yeah, well, you saw the reaction. Not, it it not didn't need yeah. it. Everyone knew what you were trying to do. And that's, again, for me, that's filmmaking. Um, you don't need to force feed people. You know, people, it's a language that people understand. And if you understand it, then someone else will understand it. Don't make it easy. I don't think it's, uh, you know, I, I don't want to watch a film and have it all just wash over me. I want to figure things out. It's one of the reasons why thrillers and murder mysteries are so popular is because people want to engage and they want to find out who did it. You know, that's the, the yeah. best example of it. If you're just told at the beginning, you know, who the killer was, um, well, you're not engaged as much. And that's yeah. why, but it was interesting. I saw The Fall with the Gillian Anderson and uh, um, uh, the, the, the serial killer uh, drama where you, fight, you basically know who the killer is all the way through. But that's, that's a completely different way of engaging the story because then it's not about the murder mystery. It's about these, these two characters and what motivates both of them. So the next part, Michael's jaw is broken by a NYPD captain who's an unofficial unofficial bodyguard to Salazzo, and um, Sonny retaliates with a hit on Bruno. Uh, Tutalia. Tutalia. Yeah, I think I've... I think, because I wrote these notes in a rush, I feel like I've possibly even spelt the names in, like, three different ways, and it's really confusing. <laughs> well, there's a lot of Italian names in The Godfather. Yeah. There's a lot to, there's a lot to kind of, you know... Um, keep track of but again it's those things that you know it's it's a it's like a novel in a way because there's so many layers to it you know obviously it was it was uh, uh, adapted from a, a book I've never read the book and the thing is when I watch movies I kind of I either read the book or I watch a film I've only yeah. what, read a book and watched the film once and I'll never do it again because there's so the two mediums are so different I can totally understand why people say it's never as good as the book uh, it's just different. You, I think you have to kind of choose between one or the other. Yeah. Um, then we've got the great scene we talked about before where Michael uses a planted handgun to kill Salazzo and McCluskey in a restaurant. And, yeah, it was just... The entire scene was so tense and possibly weird, but in, in the whole bit where he's reaching up to find the gun and it's not there at first like yeah I, I, I was laughing quite a bit through that i don't know why but it was quite a i think it's because the tension was so much there and it was just almost quite uncomfortable absolutely yeah. I'd, I'd agree i think you were really tense and you just needed something to break it i think yeah. again this whole idea of slow pace 
this is what slow pace does for me when I watch a film is it makes it horribly intense because you're waiting for something to happen and it doesn't happen and you're kind of wanting it to happen but it still doesn't happen and you're and you're kind of leaning into the tv or leaning into the screen and it just holds you and I love that um uh I remember reading or listening to Steve McQueen when he did The Hunger and his thing was how long can I hold a shot how long can I hold a shot before it's too much and that was just almost like a uh, an experiment for him. It's what he likes to do. But what that does, it creates tension. Is that it's what one shots do. You know, you're expecting a cut to happen, but it doesn't happen. So it kind of holds you. And watching 1917 kind of did that for me because even though you know it's it's um, uh, there are cuts in there, whatever, and it's kind of crafted to be one shot. What it does, it just holds attention because you don't cut away to anything and it just holds you and takes you through the movie. So I like, you know, holding shots. I like holding, withholding that release. And so in that scene, again, it's, it's, a, it's a great sequence because you're, he set it up for you and it's hugely dangerous because obviously if he, if he hasn't got the gun, if he gets found out, he's a dead man. Um, and you worry for him because you don't know if he can get, go through with it. I mean, you've got you're just engaged with him the whole time, and you're with Michael, and you put yourself in his shoes. Um, this does remind me as well the whole idea of I can't find the direct quote, but Hitchcock, when talking about suspense, talks about the bomb under the table. Yeah, if you know about the, with the whole thing where it's like you know, yeah. you've got like surprise for five seconds, and you know when the bomb goes off. But if you tell the audience there's the bomb's there, then you've got five minutes attention, or something, yeah. something yeah. like that. In Absolutely, that quote. that's it. Um, yeah. And it, uh, w- one other film where it's I find it really present is um, the opening scene in um, Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. Um, when I think they're hiding under the floorboards, and you know that they're gonna be discovered, and I think that's just sort of the perfect, um, you know as I say, for creating suspense and that, that slow pace is exactly what it is because you're, you're, you're teasing the audience. <laughs> Completely. And, you're, and you're, how long can you tease them before they get pissed off, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I totally agree because you're almost not listening to what they're saying. And because they start just talking, they start laughing and joking. It's a fantastic scene for that reason because you know they're going to be found out or are they going to be found out? You're already, you're, you're waiting for that yeah. moment of release and it's, unbearable unbearable and i think it puts you into michael's shoes as well because he doesn't really care about what's being talked about you know to him it is just what happens before he shoots them and so that that's yeah you you feel with and for michael and i think it it takes a lot for a film to make you relate so much to someone who's just about to you know shoot two people yeah because i mean that for me the godfather is going back to it is that because he's set up as someone who doesn't want to be in this life you relate to him he doesn't start off as a killer he starts off as a as a war hero ultimately he's come back from the war he wants nothing to do with uh with this with this world and you know he's a good guy he just you know he's got he's got a nice girlfriend and he just wants a kind of easy life he doesn't want anything to do with killing and murder um and so because of that and he's doing it and remember you know on a on a personal level you're also reacting to the fact that someone tried to kill his dad i mean yeah. if someone tried to you know this is that thing about family everyone says oh yeah well, you know they're murderers they're killers they're this but if someone attacked your family i'm sure your reaction my reaction most people's reaction would be i want revenge on these people how dare yes. they 
And I think that family connection makes it so much worse and easier to relate with. Like, I remember uh, there's the film The Devil's Own, and the opening scene in that, I turned the film off first time I saw it because it made me so uncomfortable. Being the opening scene, it is a... a, I don't know if you've seen The Devil's Own. Yeah, Harrison Ford and Brad Pitt. Yeah, like the opening scene is like a family having dinner and then someone goes in and shoots the dad. Like, that was... I, I can't remember how old I was when I first saw it, but, like, I remember my dad showed me the film, and at that point I was like, I can't watch this. I then went back and watched the film again and really enjoyed it, but it, it, I think it is almost, if it was a gathering of people in, like, a courtroom or something, like, you wouldn't care, but family makes it instantly personal and relatable and hard to watch. Yeah, and I think I think that's why, as I say... From a cultural and a kind of personal point of view, Godfather made that impression on me because it, it is a story about family. Yeah, this family is a gangster family, but, you know, it's played in such a way that all these things, you know, the way Marlon Brando plays it, the way, you know, he's this, he will do anything for his family and he will kill for them if need be. It's almost like it's not that he revels in killing. It's all, it's, he, he gives, it's motivated. He's kind of... He's justifying what he has to do in this horrible world because if they don't, if we don't do it, they're going to do it to us. So mm. it's uh, you know, and it's and this whole thing about business and it's not personal; it's strictly business. You know, another great line where he just says, you know, it's not personal, Sonny. It's strictly business. You know, it's uh, again a way of justifying horrendous, you know, acts of violence. Yeah, and then we've got um, open warfare between the families. Uh, Michael goes to Sicily and Frido goes to Las Vegas and Sonny attacks Carlo for abusing Connie. In, I mean, that That's another really uncomfortable thing because it is, I think for the most part, it's shot from the long shot. So it feels almost like you're a fly on the wall. You know, you're, you're, you're one of them experiencing and watching it. And I, I don't remember there being many, I could be completely wrong, but I don't remember there being many cuts in that either. I feel like it's quite a, a solid you know he's just beating him up in the street and yeah it's uncomfortable and awkward and obviously does exactly what a couple at once yeah and that's it and that's that thing of sometimes now i feel oh i may be wrong not always but i think you know this whole watching a feeling feeling uncomfortable is not a bad thing it's a good thing it's what the filmmaker is trying to to make you feel it's a manipulation of course it's a manipulation is what you're trying to do because if it's just one one level all the way through that's when it's boring you have to engage on it you you have to turn away you know from the screen if the violence is horrible you shouldn't be reveling in it you should be going oh that's horrible you know and uh, these things are not nice you shouldn't be thinking they're nice you know they're not nice and you should have a a a bad reaction to them um but then when good things happen or when someone like then you care more for the people that you think are good in the film yeah. and you kind of think Michael's a good person but he's being corrupted by this world but you do feel for him on that level it's like you know what would I do in his shoes and it's one thing which in terms of making people feel uncomfortable one thing which I tried to do with a moment in Unstable which I've since noticed a lot of people I've sent it to just thought it was almost a mistake in the film rather than making them uncomfortable in an extent it still makes them uncomfortable uh, which is the uh, there's a dinner table scene towards the end, which is like a dream sequence. I, I mean, I've, I've, obviously I've seen it so many times, having made it, I don't know how much you'd remember of my film. But there's that, and it's it, you see the main character briefly, but it's shot 
just through the reactions of his parents. Yeah, yeah. And I did that in a deliberate way so people watch it and they know that something's not right. Like, it's... Yeah, but it, it works. It, it totally yeah. works like that. When I watched it, I thought that. I thought, hang on, is he... Is he did he not have time to shoot the, the actor? Did he not have time to shoot the reactions? But then at the end of the scene, oh, all right, I get it. So it's nice. You set it up in that you kind of go, hang on, something's not right here. And then, as you say, you kind of release that and you tell us why it's not right. So, you know, that's great. That's a great technique. And actually, hopefully one thing which would work if anyone then rewatched it is that the scene actually opens with a shot of Adam's of Adam sitting down eating his dinner before it then cuts there. So it almost if you watch you then go back and go, Okay, well we have shot him, we just decided not to use it. Yeah. yeah well that's I mean that's great, you yeah. see. I mean that's that that's like the Godfather going back and seeing the little details that you missed the first time round. I think that's great. I always love that in a way, I wanted that with The Last Witness as well, in that every time you go back, you know, it's layered. If a film yeah. is just, to say, on one level, it's like eating a McDonald's. You know, eat it, does the job, you, you move on. Um, with a film, you want to kind of revisit it because it will then play on uh, on a different level the next time you, you see it. And then as a filmmaker, as I say, you can watch back and you can look at the craft of how he did that. And that's the other thing that, you know, because you don't go to film school or haven't got any kind of formal training in, in film, uh, I didn't have that. You watch the films you like and you see how they crafted those moments that, that made you scared or that made you feel something or that made you tense. Because in your film, <clears throat> excuse me, the you know the script you're working on or, or the film, you're going to say, right, in this moment, I want to make the audience laugh. I want to make them tense. I want to make them jump. So, how do I make them jump? How do the really good directors make people... How, which film made me really jump? How, and then how did they do that? And it's not normally a case of just that moment that you suddenly cut to the, the monster or cut to the door or, you know... Uh, sometimes it's the whole sequence beforehand. And, as you say, it might not even be that. It depends where it comes in the film because if it comes at the beginning of the film, it may not be as effective as 40 minutes in. Everybody relates to family, Everybody, as I say, on that level, that if someone came in and shot your dad, you know, you would have an emotional reaction. Now, The Godfather and and these kinds of films take that to the limit because these people live on the edge. I mean, we won't live, we we don't live a gangster lifestyle that, you know, you're shooting people, you know, but you can relate to the family. You can relate to, to a crisis in the family. You can relate to wanting to do things for your brothers, for your sisters. And that's the ultimate. You know, that's the that, it's a bit like war movies. You know, everyone you say most of us won't be in a war, but you can relate to a war movie because there's good and bad There's bad people. Yeah. And you have to stand up to that. And these bad people do very bad things. And you try and put yourself in the in those uh, in the shoes of, of the people fighting them. And and almost you're questioning, saying, well, how would I feel in that situation? What would I do? That's the way it engages you. Um, so. Yeah, every every film can be relatable. Even, you know, Harry Potter can be relatable because we've all been at school, you know, and we've all had, you know, it relates on yeah. one level then takes it, you know, takes it further. So, yeah, so open... Michael goes to Sicily and Frida goes to Las Vegas. Attacks, yeah, we said the attacks for abusing Connie. Um, when it happens again, Sonny is ambushed in a highway toll booth and killed. Um, weirdly that moment is the main menu on the dvd (laughs) (laughs) 
which was such a weird moment, really. I don't, I don't really get why. I can't even remember how much of it was on the main menu because I looked at it briefly, but it. I don't know. I don't think that spoiled it too much. It was just an odd choice. Um, uh, oh, I'm going to mess her name up. Michael marries Apollonia, yeah, but she Apollonia. dies in a car bomb intended for him, and that's such a like a shocking moment. <laughs> her death. Yeah. I know it's probably about. 10 20 minutes after they get married but you know in my notes that seems to be all that there is but yeah like that him meeting her in the like it's all it's quite it's it's the change of pace again really like everything's sort of relaxed and it's almost like life sorted out for them and then bam yeah yeah i think i think that's that's how it plays for me now looking back at it it's almost like he's he's getting a sense of his his life back he thinks maybe it's all over you know he's he's killed these two guys you know the everything will be fine again he gets a sense of what life could be like well no ain't gonna happen when you're watching a film that you like because obviously you're you, you know you've seen this countless times often you're you're watching it almost this moment, then this moment. Are there are there any points in the film where you feel like it almost drags on before like a good bit happens, <laughs> or do you feel like it's it's all? Uh, no, I love it all. I, I think I there's uh, you know, it's one of those films that if it comes on the telly, I'd have to watch it all the way through. I can't just oh, sort yeah. of dip into it. You know, it's uh, um, no. I think uh, I think g- genuinely no. There's nothing. There's there's no sequence that I kind of feel is is spurious or kind of that I'm not interested in, because I think it's even if there was one, I would try to figure out why it's there. Yeah. So I think it's such a, you know, it's a three hour film. I think I think it's it comes in at three hours. Yeah, I mean, there enough. Yeah, yeah, and I remember as I say when I watched it, where where I really kind of got it when I was eighteen, and I just didn't want it to end. I just wanted to c- carry on. And I didn't feel the three hours at all. And I still don't feel the three hours now. The second one's even longer, isn't it? I haven't watched it, but I've got the box set and I'm pretty sure the second film takes over two discs. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, probably, well, it's, definitely, it's definitely three hours if, it, if it's not longer, yeah. But, I mean, again, it just it, it, it creates a world. And, as you say, you become like an observer of this world. It's, it's, he's... he's realize this world so well you just don't question any of it you just go back in time you go back to that time you just you believe the characters you believe everything you're watching it, it even though i know it's all fake i just totally believe it and that's the ultimate as a filmmaker i would have thought that when you're just watching a film you don't question it you don't question you forget that it's fake now as someone who hasn't seen the other films does the trilogy stand at a stable quality or does it kind of go oh, Godfather Part 2 I would agree that it's probably better than the first one even but I think you that. know people yeah. say that Godfather 2 you know as sequels go you know it's very rare that sequels are better than the original uh, I would but the thing is the Godfather 2 works so well because the Godfather was such a good film <laughs> so yeah. in a way you kind of say alright Godfather 2 is better than Godfather 1 yeah but it wouldn't exist without Godfather 1 Godfather One created that world, and Godfather Two takes it on further. So it's like it's a it's a great way of kind of continuing the story, um, but they are very different films. One of the weirdest comparisons I heard, and 
is I remember when Mamma Mia 2 came out that people were comparing it to The Godfather Part 2 because of the whole like flashback <laughs> thing. And I, I remember thinking there must be a better comparison. Yeah, comparison. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're already stretching it there a bit. You're already, you're already trying to big up Mamma Mia a little. I mean... I quite like Mamma Mia, but it's a very odd... Yeah, not the Godfather. <laughs> no. Um, I, I mean, I'll always remember, there's a film I picked up, I think it's uh, The Long Way Down, uh, which stars Pierce Brosnan based on a Nick Hornby book, and he's credited as Pierce Brosnan from Mamma Mia, and it's like, are they not... <laughs> he's done so many things. Well, he's not even James Bond anymore, so he's, he's the man from Mamma Mia. I'll go back to a note from here. Um because I, I, otherwise I genuinely think I'm just going to forget about the rest of the film. <laughs> so, um, uh, fearing the new leader of the of, of the Tataglias, um, Vito tries to end the feud and make a deal. And when it's safe, Michael comes home and marries Kay and they have two kids. And... It's. I mean, I think it's this point where you're about like an hour to forty minutes from the end of the film, and like it feels like things are starting to wrap up, and then you do get like the extra bit later on. Um, you know, Michael takes over the family, advises that Hagen goes to Las Vegas and gives up his role to Vito, and then you've got the scene where Vito has a heart attack and dies, and I mean that Vito, who's been sort of quite a an isolate isolated character, almost who you don't have much connection to because he seems other than when um, other than when uh, Sonny dies like you don't see much emotion from him uh, but in the in the scene you get just before he dies like it 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 definitely brought a smile to me like him with the grandkid playing around and yeah, yeah. and then it's sort of shocking when he dies and obviously it's thought to be part of the game like it's quite a quite a scary thing because you're thinking about how it scars the kids you know all these other yeah, things yeah, yeah, yeah. but again it's very kind of i love that scene because again it's kind of very ordinary you know this yeah. you know he just he just dies sort of playing with the with the grandkids uh in the garden it's a kind yeah, like of, he wasn't it, shot or anything yeah, it's just like, yeah. i mean so in a way uh, again how does that make you feel? Is it is it you know? It's a kind of in a way, it's a good death if he's gonna die. Better that than being shot in the street, sort of thing. You know, he's surrounded by his family. You know, people are taking over. You know, he's a. I mean, he's a he's a great character because again, he's got his own journey. From you know the first time you see him, he's in the he's in the dinner suit, he's in that office, and he's the man. He's taking all these um, requests from all these people on his on his daughter's wedding. He's just in charge of everything, and there he is dying just in the garden, uh, kind of alone, but having passed all this stuff on, having kind of made it in a way. It's almost like I've made it through all this time, you know, because he's an, he's an old man. It's almost like amazing. So see what I mean? On it just works yeah. on all these kind of different levels, you know. It's a, it's the opposite to Michael. You know, Michael's come in as a young man and he ends up being the godfather. Here's, you know, Vito Corleone at the top of his game at the beginning of the film and then dying as the old man, you know, at the end of the film. So it's a, it's a journey for not just Michael, but for Vito as well. And then that, you know, that's why Godfather 2 then brings us back and gives you a flashback of how he got to that point and gives you that whole kind of journey. It kind of fills the gaps in. Um, but just in The Godfather, it's it's a it's a great sort of visual 
story because again he's in the dinner suit at the beginning of the film here he is in an old cardigan you know his shirt and he kind of just just drops down a kind of a, a more a sad character but on the you other could hand maybe... show yeah you could show that scene to like you know a class of film students or who hadn't seen the film before and you'd be able to know exactly what's going on and like still feel the the emotion with it as well like it's it's almost like such a separate film, such a separate scene to the rest of the film, and I I quite like that because it is a different life. Yeah, I love it, and you know that moment between Vito and and Michael, where he knows his kind of his moment's over. I think in that scene he knows that well, you know, Michael now has to. He didn't. He says, "I didn't want this for you," you know, "I didn't yeah. want this life for you," um, and it's and it's and it is sad. It's like I thought someone could get away. So it's almost like saying about him. It's like he didn't want this life. He just felt he was put into that position. You know, when he came over from Italy, and it's just the world he was in, and he tried to make the most of it. And he always wanted that thing of you know, I wanted at least one of my sons to to not be in the in the business, and I failed on that level. Um, yeah, and then you've got that. I mean, I think you could almost have ended the film there like I feel like the rest of the film's almost an epilogue yeah no, uh, I'd, I'd agree with you yeah and yeah. so then you've got uh, before the baptism of Connie's baby um, Salvatore Tessio requests a meeting that signals the betrayal that was forewarned by Vito and then um, Corleone assassinates the other New York Dons and Mo Green and then Tessio is executed um, and like the, yeah, it's, watching it at that point I was just about thinking like there's about 15 minutes left of the film, you know, not much more could happen, and then it's just like, okay, Boom. never mind. <laughs> yeah. The end credits were very short, to be honest. The end credits took up, like, two minutes. Yeah, <laughs> it was quite... yeah, no, I, I noticed that I watched it when I watched it the last time. I, realized, I didn't realise the credits were so... You're so used to credits going on for ages. Um, they just kind of finish, and they're done. Yeah, because I, I sort of... I went, you know, this is a film which is, like, nearly three hours long. It's, like, a lot of people would be involved. I'd imagine there'd be about ten minutes of... <laughs> And credits, yeah, and yeah. they weren't. Um, so then, Michael extracts Carlo's um, confession to his um, complicity in setting up Sonny's murder for Barzini. Um, Peter Clemenza strangles Carlo with a wire. Um, Connie accuses Michael of the murder, telling Kay that Michael ordered all the killings, and Kay is relieved when Michael finally denies it. Uh, but they end up addressing. Uh, him as Don Corleone and she watches them pay reverence to Michael as the newly installed Don as they close the door on her. Yeah. Um, that that last paragraph there I copied straight off Wikipedia. I didn't yeah. get the chance to <laughs> to change that in my notes. <laughs> but, you know, just one of the classic uh, end shots of a movie. I mean, I've always been... Endings of films are very, very important and both my films were kind of you know you struggle over the ending how do you because that's the thing you're left with that's the thing you leave everybody with the image the you know the the last scene you know it's just really difficult to end end films because you kind of got to wrap it up but in this case you know it goes on as well it's not the end it's almost like the beginning of his of his new life as the godfather um there's so much in that scene you know when she comes and and says right you know tell me the truth and he says okay there's one time you can ask me and then he lies to her yeah. you know and we know he like and you kind of go oh that's it he's just that's it it's gone you know and that's the complete bookend to the beginning of the film where he comes with he brings her to the wedding 
and he's saying you know he's kind of honest with her he's telling her this is my brother and everybody's not being he's, he even says to her you know this is my family Kate it's not me but at the when, end of the film he said it is him it is him when you're writing do you um do you often write it with like I don't know how much planning you do but do you know when you start how it's going to end or do you often progress the story through because quite like other things i've written i have just done li- little bits of planning but then just sort of see how i take it when i did unstable i wrote the beginning i wrote one of the end scenes and i basically went i'm going to try and get from a to b like ha- ha- what what how do you tend to approach it when you're writing um i think i i want to know what my end i want to know where i'm going i can't just sort of write and I've I've heard that some writers kind of just just go with it and see where the story takes them kind of thing. Um I think I'm a lot more structured. I kind of want to know the beginning, middle and end. I kind of want to know where I'm trying to end up or what I because I kind of think the ending is what is the story you're trying to tell. Yeah. And then you kind of work your way backwards. It's like the punchline and then you figure out the joke. <laughs> in a way it's like what do I want to say in this film and that's the ending for me. It's like the beginning scene and the ending scene should be the theme as to what the film's about. Like you should be able to watch those two and know what the film is. Yeah, well, I can't um, say it. You know, because we first see Michael and he comes to the wedding and he sits there with Faye and says, "This is my family. This is not me." And at the end, he's saying he basically lies to Faye. You know, I'm not. You know, I I, I didn't do it. We know he did, and he and he actually is. He is the family. So that's the journey. So once you know that, this is where we start and this is where we end. And now everything that happens in the middle, I think that's, um, that's you're absolutely right. It, it bookends. And I kind of think, I, you then look at your own work and I look at Last Witness and I go, well, did I do that? Well, yeah, because knowing the film, you know where how what Stephen doesn't know at the beginning. He knows nothing at the beginning. And you know, obviously, yes. what without ruining it, what happens to him at the end. So it's this, it is it is the journey from nothing to knowing everything. And I think once you've seen and studied enough films, either you know, genuinely within like a school or a workplace, or whether you've studied them at home to an extent, I think a lot of these things can just sort of come naturally to you as well. You know, you don't you don't go into it going, I'm gonna I'm gonna follow this structure. I'm gonna use Chekhov's gun. I'm gonna do, you know, you just do it <laughs> yeah i think you do and i think what was really good not having done film school you do things naively so you yeah. you watch films and you kind of think well this is i'll just do it. as you say i'll just do it like this and then what you realize is and then when it works you realize that you've done it right and then you read you'll read a book and say oh yeah that's what everyone does so rather than as you say trying to follow what everyone else is doing you just do your own thing and you find out how i found was that i'm actually doing what all these other directors are doing so that's great so i just keep going but at least i've i've learned it in my own way rather than trying to follow someone else's um so um have you got any sort of final thoughts on the godfather before we move on to the last segment no i think we've covered quite a lot i think you know there's there's so much more you can talk about because you can revisit it all the time. As I say, we can talk about the craft, we can talk about the culture of it, we can talk about the the you know the seventies and the and the and the politics of it all. What was happening in the in the seventies? Cinema of the seventies, you know, where it was 
where the Godfather was influenced by, because obviously all those Scorsese, Coppola, Lucas, even they were all influenced by European cinema, and they were always looking. They were looking to European cinema. They wanted to do things differently to you know the cinema of the of the sixties and fifties in America. You know, it it works on so many different levels, and that's what's so um, amazing about it. It's not just a film, and I I think the best films work on those levels. They're not just entertaining movies but they're kind of educational and they're entertaining and I think this is what I love about films because I've learned a lot of my history and politics and everything through watching films I mean it may sound sad but it's done it for me so in a way now making films I'm trying to do that with the films I make that they are Last Witness taught me stuff about history that you know the the whole Polish massacre and thing like that's not very public knowledge but if i can deliver that in an in an entertaining way or in a in a in a way that you will engage with um rather than having to read it in a book or watch a documentary then i've done my job because people as you say not all of us read not all of us watch documentaries most of them you know i i was watching movies and that's where i was getting my stuff from it's sort of the middle ground of what i want to have with unstable because when i'm looking at different events and things people are talking about like do i want to put it to like drug awareness events and things like that but i never want people to watch it thinking they're about to be educated i want the film to be something that they can watch and then because i'm not telling them to think anything i want them to watch it and use the film as a kicking off platform for them to consider their own views and consider how they approach things themselves and I feel like if I made an entire... I mean, I've got things and there's things about addiction awareness, but I want people to come to be entertained, not to be educated. And I think that's sort of the difficult middle ground almost when you when you want people to get something out of your film. Yeah, I, I completely agree. That's that's how I approach it as well. In the, in the first instance, to me, it's an entertainment. You're asking someone to buy a ticket and and come into the cinema and ultimately you want to entertain them if they can then get something else from it fantastic but i think your first job as a filmmaker is to entertain someone engage with them and yeah if you're if you want to preach to them no uh, i don't want to be preached that you don't want to be preached that you know i want to watch a film and if there are subtle messages in there or just things about human nature or about politics or about what you feel about the world in there which as you say people can disagree with you know there's things in the last witness that i have no evidence for that people can disagree with and i'm fine with that but at least you're talking about the subject and you're allowing them to think about what they think about things they might not otherwise give a second thought to um uh and i think there was a point and it's gone, so I'll go to our next segment. Um, uh, so we tend to have a segment on here called Film Retitling. Whereby I give you no notice at all and ask you if you had to retitle the film, what name would you give it? So if I retitled what? The Godfather? The Godfather, yeah. Oh, that's hard. That's really yeah. hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The thing is, as I know this segment comes all the time, I could think about this, and I never do myself, which is uh, probably bad. <laughs> I'd call it an Italian family. I like that. I was going to say the family, but then I remembered that's a film starring Robert De Niro. Um, I haven't got it. Well, I haven't seen it. I think I've got the family, but I've never seen it. It's another one of those sort of 
It's it's when Robert De Niro went down the spoofing himself yeah, period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, in fact, you can even see elements of that in like um, slight snippets of The Godfather reminded me of analyze this and analyze that that he did, and you know that sort of kind of spoof of the the gangster genre and where they start really well it was really interesting yeah um the director jonathan demi who did silence of the lambs he yeah. did something called married to the mob which was like a kind of spoof gangster thing i remember watching listening to I think I've heard of that, an interview with him it had michelle pfeiffer in it and um he was saying you know it's got to a point in the you know what came first gangster movies or gangsters you know have gangsters were gangsters watching Jimmy Cagney and, and you know Humphrey Bogart and starting to act like them, or were Jimmy Cagney and Humphrey Bogart, you know, copying gangsters? You know, which it's chicken and egg. Because yeah. same thing with Godfather, you know, it's like the Sopranos did a riff on that in that they kept quoting the Godfather because the gangsters love talking about the Godfather because it makes them look cool. <laughs> so you've got this kind of weird, you know, you've got pop culture sort of eating itself up it's like and you forget where this actually where are the cliches were the cliches already there or were they created by these movies and i'll say like even just after this discussion i want to go back and watch the godfather again now like i feel like i feel like i'd understand it a lot more well, like yeah, I, I mean think i found it fine that's good i think yeah. I, I, so many films I, I do it all the time even when i watch you know uh, the films in BAFTA or that films are sent to me and uh, you know nothing about them. The first time, I can't, I've, so many times I've watched it and I thought, I don't know about that at all. Um, and then two years later, I've watched it again and, and think it's it's a great film because either I've heard more about it or people have started discussing it like we have. Um, and yeah, you, you approach it now. Oh, I see what they were trying to do there. and Or you feel like, yeah, they're way ahead of their time and I just didn't get it. You know, I just, you know, put my hands up and say, you are just way ahead of your time. And now it's so much, so much more relevant now to me than it was two years ago or something like that. So um, I, I love the way film works on that level because it's always out there. It's, the, it's why we can watch a black and white movie and feel it's contemporary. Uh, these things don't die. I mean, I know we've all gone through that, you know, maybe... I remember when I was a kid, most of my friends would not watch a black and white movie because it's an I old have film. I have the same issue you know? with my friends, yeah. <laughs> you know, and they'll go, but it's an old film. Or or even, you know, a, a film from the 80s, that they're just old films. Why are you watching old films when there's new ones coming out? Because they just want to see new. What's, what's new? Everything's got to be new. Um, but I think once you get into films, then you start revisiting all that stuff and your just world just opens up. And I think it's those people that are missing out on all this all this kind of all this art that's there and is very contemporary and very modern because as i say you watch something like um angels with dirty faces jimmy cagney and you look at reservoir dogs i mean just listen to the dialogue yeah. i mean angels you know the jimmy cagney film is is as sharp and as fast as as reservoir dogs if not if not more kind of um you know interesting dialogue and I'm noticing that with people sort of going through the stage of discovering film, because I, I started fascination with film when I was about 12, and so I watched a lot of older films. I'm only starting to see that with my friends now. It's weird, these people who like wound me up when I was 12 because I liked Monty Python are now coming in 
whistling always look on the bright side of life and it's like things have things have changed in the past you know three four years and it's yeah it's it's quite weird it's, it's why i end up doing this thing where like every year when it comes to my birthday i invite friends to come and watch a film just so i can you know have an excuse to get them to watch something they wouldn't normally watch so we've done like national lampoon's vacation and heathers because i like comedy um this year we're doing the room uh which is just because i thought I need to introduce them to the room, and some people were interested, and I paid thirty quid for my DVD, so I'm not lending it to anyone. <laughs> but I mean, I did that. I did this once, and again, my worst experience of kind of suggesting a, that we watch a film was uh, I had a whole, uh, I had some friends round, and Rollerball came came on the telly with James Caan, and I I love Rollerball. It's again one of those films that kind of really not shocked me, but it was just a just a moment in time. It just really made an impression on me. And I love it, but I sat there in that room. I've never seen a group of people so bored in my entire life. And, I, and you know when you say, you tell somebody, this is a really good film, and by the end of it, they're just looking at you going, what have you just done? That's two hours of our lives that we can't get back. And you're going, yeah. but, and, but watching it, I knew that it just wasn't working. Um, and yeah, it's really difficult. It's really, you've got to be very I, I careful. I feared that so much that that's why I've decided the room this year because at least it's bad and everyone can agree it's bad <laughs> you know it's a, and then that way if people don't like it and start talking over it and stuff then that's fine because that's how the film's best viewed anyway yeah so, and it's, yeah, you know it's, it's so bad it's good sort of thing it's like i can't believe it's this bad i mean i've not seen it because i kind of in a way i don't want to see a bad film i want to uh, spend my time watching a good film um because it's i think almost, you need to you can never watch it on your own. <laughs> That's what I've found out. Because, like, um, but yeah, I've it's a film that I've become like fascinated by. Like, I'm not old enough to go to any of the midnight screenings, but I know that there's almost a script to them in London. Like, people will do, there's like things that people will shout out and they'll throw things at the screen and things like that. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a weird one, but I I quite like it because there's something about you know reveling in the fact that it's so bad it's like yeah move on don't waste your time on bad stuff you want to waste your time you want to spend your time on analyzing what makes something you know amazing what makes something really good you know because that's a that's an entertainment in itself as a filmmaker yeah what's something bad to, to know how not to do it but on the other hand you know i came to it as i say watching star wars and these big movies and thinking well if i make a short film even it's got to be that good and how am I going to do that? That's why I didn't do it for a long. I didn't even own... I, my dad actually, I remember saying, just for himself, wanted to buy a video camera. When I think about it now, I say, well, why didn't I let him? I said, Dad, don't buy it. Don't buy a video camera because you'll use it and it will all look rubbish and, and you know, you'll do weddings that nobody will ever watch and just the quality will be terrible. It's just don't do it, <laughs> you know. Um, so your ambition even there the ambition was if i'm going to do something i want to i want it to look good i want it to look like a a film something that i watch on the tv um but on the flip side of that i realize now you've also got to kind of just learn and by doing short films you you learn because that was the thing with short films i everyone kept telling me oh if you want to be a director you've got to make short films i go yeah but i don't watch short films i watch feature films yeah, and I want to make those. I don't yeah. want to make short films. I don't know how to make a short film. And I, I'm not interested in short. Oh, no, but you've got to make lots and lots of short films before you can make your feature film. It didn't make any sense to me. I say, well, I think I've, I've noticed comparing my film to other short films 
is I make like 15, 20 minute short films, which are almost like mini feature films. Like if someone went and said, here's a six figure budget, make it into a feature. I could do it easily because I'm, I'm making what I can make of a feature on a low budget. Really? really. Yeah, so you're almost like um, doing a promo for a feature film. Yeah. That's exactly what I did with my uh, short films. They were like the first 20 minutes of the feature or something, which is really not the way to do it because a short film is a, is a form in itself and you just have to make tell a story in five minutes or 10 minutes or 15 minutes, but it has its own structure. Um, but that's a structure you have to study by watching lots of good short films, whereas... If I'm trying to study feature films, that structure is obviously very different. Yeah. Telling a story in 15 minutes is very different to telling a story in an hour and a half or three hours, clearly. You know, but what short films do is just what can you, you know, you're developing your craft. Can you tell the story visually? Can you can you write something? You know, it's a it's a way of learning. It's definitely a fantastic way of learning without having to to go the whole hog and do an hour and a half, you know. <clears throat> Um, anyway, so thanks so much for coming on this podcast. Where can our listeners find you on social media or in real life or on tour or anything like that? Well, I'm, I'm on Facebook, so Piotr Kopiak on Facebook. I'm on Twitter at Piotr Kopiak. And um, at the moment, still promoting Last Witness. As I say, it's going to be shown in Chicago. And um, it's showing in some Polish communities uh, around the country over the next couple of months. But, you know, it was released in August 2018, so it's had a good run. And now I'm looking to move on to the next feature film and uh, more directing. Um, so our listeners can find this show on Facebook, Please Be Seated, on Twitter, if you excuse the pun, at Please Be Tweeted. Uh, they can find me on Twitter, Llama underscore Bottle Zero. It was a long time ago I created that Twitter. <laughs> you can uh, find me on Instagram, The Ginger Luke, and you can find podcasts short films radio appearances all of that at lukeallen.co.uk uh thank you so much for coming to do this podcast and um i i hope you all enjoy listening bye please be seated is a luke allen podcast for more podcasts appearances and short films visit lukeallen.co.uk